This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah 11, as we've been looking at prophecies of the Messiah and his coming in chapter 7 and chapter 9 and today in chapter 11 of Isaiah. So we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 10, Isaiah 11, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. We're talking today about the reign of the king. Traditionally, when you think about Advent, what you're really thinking about is not only the first coming of Christ, but also the second Advent of Christ. And today, we're going to see both of those, but especially the focus here in chapter 11 on the second Advent of Christ, when Christ comes again to rule and to Rain. Let's look at the text together. The Bible says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall leave them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray together. Father, we come before this incredible text where we see so much about our King, where we see his, his wisdom, His justice, His power, His identity, and we look forward to the return of our King. But we pray that you'd make us faithful in the meantime. Lord, make us faithful to hold that signal of Christ high so that people in all the world can see Jesus. 
and be drawn to the King. And Father, we pray that the King who is coming to reign would reign in all of our hearts, every area of our hearts. May we withhold no part of our lives from His reign. May Christ reign as Lord, as King, now in our hearts in anticipation of the fact that one day He is coming again to reign. And we look forward to the day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of our great King as the waters cover the sea. Help us to be faithful in the present as we anticipate the future. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I must be one of the only people my age in America who did not get into Star Wars in the late 70s and early 80s. But you know, I, I didn't. I remember vividly going to see the, the first one in the theater, but maybe it was just a a bad day or whatever, but I, I just didn't get into it. And so I didn't see The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. But with all the hype about The Force Awakens and knowing that I would probably uh, see it with at least one of my children, I felt like, you know, I've got to really bone up on my Star Wars knowledge here. I've got to know what's going on, especially since the new one sort of follows uh, the original three sequentially. So, uh, one day during the holidays, well, over the course of, you know, two or three days, uh, my son and I kind of had a Star Wars marathon, okay? So I could be ready to see the new one in the theater. And I got to tell you, I really got into them, really enjoyed it. Uh, But as I was watching all three of these films, it, it occurred to me, you know, all of this seems eerily familiar somehow. Maybe I, I, it's it's almost like I have seen this before. Well, the reason for that is because uh, George Lucas, the, the writer of Star Wars, is doing what many, many other writers have done. And that is he's, you know, whether he's consciously a Christian or not, he is drawing from the deep well of some of the primary storylines of Scripture. The Bible is all about light versus darkness. You know, it's about uh, a a return from exile. It's about a a small group of rebels, of, of underdogs, setting people free. It's about... A, a, a world that has been under the domination of an evil empire. It's about that, that world being transformed so that, that uh, righteousness and justice will reign. All of these things we see in this prophecy in Isaiah 11. Now let's kind of recap for the past couple of weeks. We started out in the prophecy of Isaiah 7. And we saw there that the king of Judah, Ahaz, does not trust God for protection. Instead, he trusts in the Assyrians of all people. The the brutal pagan.
pagan, mighty Assyrian army. He trusts in those guys for protection. Well, um, the very one that he trusted in for protection turns on him. And Ahaz is destroyed and, 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 and the Jews are subjected, or are going to be subjected. It's all a prophecy at this point. Isaiah is prophesying about what's going to happen. But he prophesies that because you trusted in the Assyrians rather than God, the very thing that you trusted in will turn on you and destroy you. And so we saw that prophecy, and indeed that did come true. And so the Assyrians did come mighty, brutal. Okay, but but then, as the prophecy progresses, what you see, particularly as you move into the 10th chapter of Isaiah, is that Isaiah is prophesying that the Assyrians themselves, the mighty, brutal, arrogant Assyrians, that the Assyrians are also going to be brought low by God. And how low? Well, look at uh, chapter 10 and, and verse 19. The Bible tells us uh, there that the, the remnant of the trees of the forest, he's talking here about the Assyrians and the Assyrian army, the remnant of the trees of this forest will be so few that a child can write them down. In other words, the Assyrians, the, the, the mighty, brutal Conquering Assyrians are going to be brought down so low that it'll be like a little child who's just learning to count would be able to to count on his or her fingers the number that are going to be left in the mighty Assyrian army. So so what you see here, what what brings us up to today is that we see that human pride is being brought low. By God. Ahaz and his people do not trust in God. You know, they, they have to figure out this scheme for self-protection. And they, so they rely upon the, the Assyrians rather than God. Their, their pride is brought low. The Assyrians themselves, Isaiah says, are going to come. They are going to conquer. But the Assyrians themselves are going to be brought pitifully low. Human pride is going to be the loser in this. Human pride is going to be cut down to size. And so look at the way he he sums up at the end of chapter 10. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great and height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down. Down the forest thickets with an axe. So, as we come to the 11th chapter, we're looking out over a desolated landscape. You know, all, all the human beings who just lifted up themselves in their pride, they've been cut down to size. They're just like a bunch of stumps, scattered stumps dumps out in a desolate wasteland. That's where we are as we approach chapter 11. Now, what happens? 
Okay? Human pride brought low. Jews brought low. Assyrians brought low. Human pride brought low. We're looking out over this, this desolate landscape just full of stumps. And what happens? Okay. Verse 1, chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of David. So we've been looking for the past couple of weeks at the promise that God made to David, right? In the Davidic covenant. Okay, David is Jesse's son. Okay, so he's the, a, a shoot from the stump, of, it's going to come forth from the stump of Jesse, okay? David is Jesse's son, and God makes a promise to King David in the Davidic covenant. And it is what? Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. But we saw that Ahaz, the Davidic king, is the very one who doesn't trust in God. He trusts in the Assyrians and he falls. But does that mean that God's promise in the Davidic covenant is going to fall? No. Because what is God going to do? See, God is promising to David a forever throne. Not just a temporary one. Your, your kingdom shall be made sure, what? Forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. How is this going to be fulfilled? Okay, that brings us to Luke 1. The angel Gabriel says to Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You see how this all comes together? Now, those words that Gabriel says to Mary speak of the first coming of Christ. He's born as a baby, but they also anticipate the second coming of Christ when he's coming to reign as king. So, let's talk about the king and his reign this morning. What do we see about it here? First of all, we see his wisdom. The wisdom of the king. Notice in verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You notice here that it says that he's, he's going to be about counsel and might. In other words, Jesus, this shoot that's going to come from the, the descendant of David, okay, the one who is going to come to rule and reign... Jesus is going to be characterized by both counsel and might. In other words, he not only has the right, the insight, and the counsel for what should be done, he's got the power and the authority to carry it out. As we saw last week in chapter 9, he is the wonderful counselor. 
What does that mean? It means you can trust His Word. It means you can trust the Bible. You can trust His counsel. What do we see about Him in verse 3? His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what His eyes see or decide disputes by what His ears hear. You know, some of our worst decisions come because we're limited in our knowledge. Right? We're, we're, we, we perceive things one way. You know, we, see, we see it with our eyes. We hear it with our ears. But see, God doesn't judge things that way. He's not limited to what He can see and hear. He knows the future. He doesn't judge by appearances. He, he sees the heart. He has perfect wisdom. Now one of the stories that you hear about, in fact, you oftentimes you hear a lot, there's a lot of sermons being preached today, probably all over the place, about the wise men. Okay? Because after the birth of Jesus, uh, these, these, these wise men come. And, and what's up with that story? What's it all about? I mean, it's a cool story, and you know, they come from far away, and they're guided by a star, and, and they, they bring these gifts to, to, to lay before Jesus. And it, and, it really, and it really happened, and it's a cool story, but is that it? Is there something more that's being said? Yes, there's something more that's being said. The deeper point is that those who represent the wisdom of the world are doing what? They're coming to Jesus to receive wisdom. Because the wisdom of this world pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. Indeed, uh, God takes the wisdom of this world sometimes and He does what? He stands it on its head. You know, suppose... Suppose you were doing some strategic planning. And what do you do when you do strategic planning? You start out with sort of the end that you want to see happen, you know, the eventual vision of where you want to get to. And, and then you sort of think about, okay, well, here's, here's how we're going to get there. Okay, here's, here's kind of how to make it happen and, and realize the vision. Well, well, suppose you were doing strategic planning for your life. And uh, you said, uh, okay, this is what I want to be the end game. Okay, this is, the, this is where we want to get to eventually. Um, I'd like to be the most recognized name in world history. Uh, I'd like the best-selling book in the history of the world uh, to be about me. I'd like for like a fourth of the people on the planet to completely orient their lives around me. And I would like for time itself to be split in half by my birth. Now, how, how are we going to get there? How do, we make, how do we make that happen? Do you think that you would suggest things like, okay, well, for that to happen, I need to be born into a family with no money, no power, no influence. And so, in fact, they're going to be so lacking in influence, uh, my mother's not even going to be able to get a, get a room for me to be born, going to be born in an animal pen. Uh, do you think you would suggest, uh, yeah, not, I'm not, in order for this vision to happen, not going to be raised in Jerusalem or you know, any place of influence, going to be raised in sort of this backwater town that nobody's ever heard of. Do you think you would suggest, oh, okay, well, in order to achieve this vision, um, I'm going ha- to have like, I- I'm not going to have an army, not going to hold political office. I'm going to have like this, 
this relatively small group of people that I'm going to invest in for like three years, but a lot of those people, they don't even really completely understand what I'm trying to do. Oh, and then, just as my career is taking off, I'm going to get crucified on a cross. We wouldn't plan it. We wouldn't plan it that way. And see, God takes our wisdom and he stands it on its head. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So trust in God. <laughs> not men. He will not lead you astray. He has true wisdom. Second, let's talk about the justice of the king. Verses 4 and 5. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So, when Jesus comes again, to reign as king, what is going to characterize his reign? Okay, it says it's going to be about righteousness, um, equity, complete fairness and, and justice. Um, it's going to be about, uh, about faithfulness. It's going to be about a, a judgment for all that is evil. We yearn for justice in our world, don't we? I mean, we talk about it. We yearn for things to be right. We see that this world is broken. Um, even people who are not Christians sense at a deep, intuitive level that this world is not... Something is wrong. Something is awry. And we yearn for things to be right. We, we yearn for justice. We've seen certain movements in our country towards that. You know, some of you can remember in the, the late 60s when young people you know, were talking about, you know, let's create a culture of, of, of peace and, 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 and love and, and, and togetherness. You know, but what happened with the counterculture of the late 60s? You know, what, was, what was the end result of the, the drug revolution and the sexual revolution? Did it lead to freedom? kind of led to the opposite, right? Addiction, enslavement, you know, on and on. Sometimes we even hear, you know, we even hear politicians talking in, in ways that can sound almost messianic and, and that can uh, paint a picture of a world that is made right um, in the, uh, really in 2008 and leading up to the election of the president. And I'm not picking on him because politicians from both parties can, can lapse into language that, that almost, almost sounds as if we can have heaven on earth. But, you know, the, our, our president in one of his speeches as a candidate talked about the, our planet being healed. Well, the planet is going to be healed, okay? But it is not going to come from a politician of the left. It is not going to come from a politician of the right. It is going to come from a king from above. 
Jesus is going to come and he is going to heal this planet, this creation that has gone so wrong. It is going to be made right. Praise God. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not, I'm not advocating that you know, we just sort of say, well, you know, Jesus is coming again to make it right and we're not going to do anything in the meantime. No. I'm not advocating either cynicism or apathy in regard to you know, what we can accomplish. I mean, and certainly we should, we should vote. We should try to make a difference in politics and culture and the arts and every possible way. You know, I agree with John Wesley. Do all the good that you can. By all the means that you can, in every way that you can, in every place that you can. Yes, Christians should never be cynical or apathetic about any of that. Let's make all the, do all the good that we can. But let's understand that the ultimate issue in our world is sin. It's evil in our hearts. That, that is not something that we heal. That's something, that's healing that has to come from beyond us. Because where in the injustice in our world comes from is from evil in the, in the heart. Healing has got to be in the heart. And that's going to happen. It's going to happen. And the whole creation is going to be changed. It's going to be transformed Look at this language in verses 6 through 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus is coming again to renew all things. There's going to be a new world, a new heaven and earth. Right now, we live in a creation that is groaning in pain. Sometimes we groan in pain, right? It's because of the brokenness of this fallen world. It shall not always be so. Paul says in Romans 8, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. This, this world, this, this the creation itself, is dysfunctional in so many ways. And, and so it's, it's groaning. There's a groaning in creation. And those of us who live within this creation... Even those of us who are Christians, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that's believers. Even sometimes we groan inwardly uh, because we, we still live in these unredeemed bodies. 
right? We've got redeemed souls and unredeemed bodies. We're, we're, we're doing life in a fallen world in these perishable bodies. Bodies that are subject to aging and to disease and, 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 and we're subject to sin. You know, just the, 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 the rotten sin that we all deal with. You know, Paul says here, one day that groaning is going to be over. It's going to be over. Jesus is coming again. Creation itself is going to be renewed. That's what Isaiah is talking about here in verses 6 through 9. And we are going to live within that renewed creation with resurrected, glorified bodies. No longer subject to perishing, to wearing out, to disease, to sin. That's all gone. No more groaning. All of that is a thing of the past. Um, now the pain that we experience now, how, what does he compare it to? The pains of childbirth. That's a very certain kind of a pain. Obviously, the men here haven't experienced that pain. I've stood at a bedside three times and observed that pain. I do know this. I know that it's temporary. It's sharp, but it's temporary. And it's completely overwhelmed by the joy when a new baby comes into the world. The Bible says that's what our groaning is like now. It's going to be, it's temporary, and it's going to just be totally, totally overwhelmed by the joy that is coming when Jesus comes again. There's going to be true justice. We see the wisdom of the king, the justice of the king. What else? The identity of the king. Verse 10. And that day, the root of Jesse. Now, wait a second. How did we begin in verse 1? Who was this figure called, referred to in verse 1? The shoot of Jesse. How can someone be both the shoot of Jesse and the root of Jesse? Who could be both the shoot or descendant of Jesse and simultaneously the root, the creator of Jesse? Who but Jesus? Who but the God-man? Jesus is both the shoot, the descendant of Jesse and David, and the root, the creator of Jesse and David. Trust Him. Follow Him. Ray Ortland says this, Unlike every other human leader in the sorry length of our history, Jesus is literally qualified to rule the world. We have nothing to fear from Him. We are foolish to resist Him. We can never be too loyal to him if you don't know him today follow him and listen if you do know him you've got a job to do what else do we see here in verse 10 
in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Now, signal here means flag. Okay? So Jesus is going to be like a, a flag for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In other words, the nations, all the peoples, every tribe and tongue are going to flow to Jesus for true justice and wisdom. Um, okay, Jesus is going to be lifted up that all peoples would know him. That's our assignment. That's what Lottie Moon Offering is all about. That's what our church is to be all about. Okay, lifting up Christ. Lifting up Christ so that all peoples would flow to Him. We lift Him up as, as, as a flag, as a banner. You know, we sing this all the time. A lot of times we don't think about what we're singing. But the Star-Spangled Banner is, is a wonderful song. It's a beautiful song, beautifully crafted, wonderful poetry. Um, a lot of times we don't think about the context of how, how and when it was written. But, you know, it was written by Francis Scott Key during the War of 1812. But, but when that was written, he was actually a prisoner on board a British ship, an enemy ship. And the enemy ship was firing on... Fort McHenry, an American fort in Baltimore, just firing at this American fort all night. But he could look up through all of this bombardment that was going on. He could still see that star-spangled banner waving. So that's where this comes from. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in the air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. That's our position now as Christians, doing life in this broken world. It's a world full of tumult. There's, a, there's an attack that's going on. <laughs> We're being attacked by a supernatural enemy, okay? We're being attacked in all kinds of ways. There's persecution on, on and on and on. Yes, we're being shot at. But in the midst of all of that, our assignment is to lift up Christ, to keep that signal high, to keep it flying. And look, we have the promise of God that it will not fall. It will never fall. We know how this story ends, and it is not in doubt. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this amazing prophecy. We thank you for how all of your word just comes together in, in Jesus. And as we just continue to bow before him in, in prayer, you know, if you're here today and you're not certain that you, you know him, um, the gospel of Jesus is a glorious thing. Ultimately, one day, our groaning is going to end because Jesus came and on the cross he took, he took all of our sin. He took all of our pain, all of our, our groaning on himself.
And one day he's coming again to completely destroy all that is wrong, all that is evil. The question is, are you ready for that? Are you, you will stand before him one day. Whether you die before Jesus comes again or whether he comes during your lifetime, you will stand before this king. On that day, will you stand before the king as your savior or as your judge? He can be your savior. Turn to him in repentance and in faith. Turn from trying to do life your way apart from him and turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I rest in what you have done for me in dying for my sins and rising from the dead. I rest completely in your finished work, your work alone. Would you say that today? Would you make that commitment today? Would you take your hands off the controls of your life and and give them to Christ? You can never trust Him too much. You can never be too loyal to Him. He will never lead you astray. To know Him is life, abundant and eternal. Give your life to Him today. If you're here today as a believer, we know our assignment. It's clear, isn't it? Right? We, we lift up Jesus in the midst of this broken world. We do that through the integrity of our lives. We do that through the witness of our lips for Christ. Would you make 2016 a time when more than ever Jesus Christ, that signal for all peoples, is lifted up in and through your life like never before. So Father, work in our hearts now. We pray by the power of your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and and you'd like to talk with someone more about the gospel, if you're here today and, and you'd say, you know, I want to be, I want to be a part of this church family as we lift up Christ together. If you're here today with just a need in your life and you want to pray with someone or you just want to come pray at the front, it's open for you to do that. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your Son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life right now. I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know the Bible says this in John 1.12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father when you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.